If you would like to follow along with me, I will be in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. And if I can just give you a brief overview of the book of Hebrews, we can sum up chapters 1 to chapters 10, verse 18, as the call to consider Jesus Christ, who has finished the race of faith. In that section, the author of Hebrews labors in discussing to his audience, his Jewish audience, that Jesus Christ is a better ruler than the angels. He's a better prophet than Moses, Moses who symbolizes the prophets. And he's a better priest than the Levites because he is the Son of God. And in this position, in this work that God has accomplished through Christ Jesus, He's a seated king, he's a seated priest, and he's a seated prophet at the right hand of Jesus Christ. And through this ministry that he has accomplished, he has enacted a better promise, a better covenant than the old covenant for us all. And through this covenant, he calls us from chapter 10, verse 19, to the end of the book, Hebrews 13, verse 25, he calls us to be faithful to Jesus, and he warns us not to turn away from him. If the prophets of old spoke a good word about God, if the Levites tried to be faithful in interceding your behalf, and if the rulers, the kings, tried their best, for the most part, the kings in um, Judah, and if it went wrong for the people of Israel because they sinned against the Lord, and how much more if you trample underfoot the Son of God? And to this morning, we are in the application side of Hebrews as we look at Hebrews chapter 1. And here he calls us to persevere, to not um, treat Jesus Christ with contempt, to not turn away from the work that he has done on your behalf, if truly you are a believer here today. And the word of the Lord says in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let us open up with a word of prayer. Oh, gracious Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to, to hear your word, to, to learn from you, to understand how you, you, you would want us to conduct ourselves before you in this pilgrimage, in this uh, time of exile that we are in here in uh, Beaumont, here in the land of Canada, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be faithful to you, Lord. Help us to be faithful to your son, Jesus Christ, and the work that he has accomplished. I pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts, that our hearts would be ready to receive the seed of your word, and that we would not only be hearers of your words only, but doers. In Jesus' name I pray and ask. Amen. I would like to start off just with a question for you all. What makes an athlete great in your mind when you see athletes compete in sport? What is the characteristics that make them a great athlete? I have a list for myself here. 
I say that it's their commitment, it's their endurance, it's their power, their physical physique, it's their training, their discipline for the game, it's their zeal, their passion. Not only that, it's, it could be seen in their resiliency. But for our time this morning, I would just like to focus on endurance. Because endurance is one of the important qualities that an athlete may, must have. I define endurance as the ability to exert oneself and remain active, even in a difficult or challenging circumstance. I can remember back in grade 10 when I, got, um, when I made it to the senior team at, at my high school. And um, that was really an exciting thing for me. It was exciting news. But it was all fun and games when I got into the basketball court and I started to compete against other athletes that were twice my size, that they were obviously bigger than me, they could run faster than me, they could easily move me off to the side. And, and I remember being in those games when my coach would sub me on, that I would probably only last two to five minutes, then I would quickly get subbed off, and I'm on the benches grasping for air, grasping for my water bottle. And it was that, that moment that, like, I am not in junior high anymore. I need to learn how to compete with this new uh, arena that I'm in or with this new program that I'm in. So I had to build, build endurance in myself as an athlete. So what did I do? I started to train more. I started to strength train a lot more than before. I started to take this much more seriously. Then going on to my grade 11 year in basketball, I could last a whole game. Not everybody's able to do that, but I was able to last the whole game because of how serious that I took the sport. Now, the author of Hebrews connects the Christian life as an athlete, as a person that needs to endure in the race. Why? Because as Christians, we will face opposition. We will face people who will hate us simply because they hated our master first and foremost. So they will for sure hate us as well. But not only that, there are things in our life that will also slow us down from running the race with endurance. And I will get into that later on. The example of an athlete is tremendously important for us because just as they endure in a race, so much Christians endure in their pilgrimage, their exile here on earth as we wait for Jesus Christ to bring back his kingdom. But the author, when he makes this meta, uh, metaphor, it's not the only metaphor that, that the author uses to connect the Christian life, or I should say the New Testament uses. We have Paul in 2 Timothy verses 3 to 6. He connects the, the Christian life as an athlete as well, but not only that, as a soldier and a farmer. He says, Share in, in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Then another illustration is a wrestler. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And lastly, a race. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 26, Paul states, do you, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one who beats the air. Then Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we see that Paul has a determination as an athlete to run for Christ, to run for his glory. And the author of Hebrews sets this up for us. If we look at the end of verse 1, we see the, his core command is to let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Who are the contestants in this race? What type of race is this? I would argue that this race is like a marathon. What the author is trying to symbolize here is that it's not just a quick second, quick 10-second sprint, then you're done. Then you receive your reward. Then you receive your prize. No, it is a race that is elongated, that, that you cannot see the finish line from, from where you're standing. But you need to keep on going. You need to keep on running and keep on enduring. I searched up how long a marathon race would last. And they said on average, the fastest marathon that was completed is usually around four hours. So imagine now in light of the Christian walk, some of us, some of you today have been running this Christian walk for for decades now. Some of you maybe just a few years, but the call is to keep on going, to not stop. Because as you're in this race, you may get disappointed. You may have thoughts. Is Christ really going to come? Is, is, is my Savior, is my prize really going to make all things new? There are these doubts that just slowly start to trickle in. But not only that, you get hurt by opposition. When you are a faithful witness at work, you have people who, who, who spread shame, who spread gossip upon your name. But all you're desiring to do is to show them good, to show them love as Christ has showed you love. So this type of race that we are in is the race of faith. And the contestants who are in this race are believers, are those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, these believers cannot choose their own race. They cannot pick how they're going to run this race because this race is set before us by God. It is his program. When I, when I got into the senior team, there was this contract I had to sign, if you could call it, and they, they said um, I'm supposed to meet a certain uh, grade in my semester if I want to keep at the sport. I need to be involved in, in, in my school, and I need to be in the list just goes on and on and on of my responsibility. Now, if I did not meet the grade that I needed to meet to play in the sport, I would not play. I would not play. So I needed to recognize that I'm not playing basketball on my own program here. It's not all about me. But I'm here to represent the school. I'm here to represent a student athlete for the school. Now, how much more for, for Christ and his kingdom and what he has called us? 
If you're standing here today and you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a, a, a blood-bought Christian by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have entered a race. And the race is following his program. Now, the race of faith requires endurance from the contestants, from the believers. They must not give up so easily. They must run with one resolve, and that is to win the prize. And our prize is to enter the kingdom of heaven. Our prize is the Lord Jesus and the promises, the rewards that he promises us. Let us let, just like how no athlete can expect to win the prize without determination, we must have a single resolve to enter the kingdom and not to give up. Now, how can we endure? The author Hebrews, just before that verse, in the middle of verse 1, he says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. If we can focus in on every weight, that word weight, what is a weight? What is the author talking about here? He could be referring to things in life that are good in themselves, but yet they prevent the runner, the contestant, the Christian to endure to the end. They impede the Christian instead. They're not helpful for the Christian. They slow them down. This communicates that only the essential things are needed in this race. You cannot carry... I, I've never seen an Olympic athlete run the race with a pair of weight ankles on them. They don't do that. Why? Because it burns themselves out. They, it slows them down from attaining the prize, from crossing, to being the first one to cross the finish, finish line. A commentator defines a weight as this. A weight is something which we are at liberty to cast aside, but which instead we choose to retain. It is anything which slows our progress in the Christian walk, anything which unfits us for the discharge of our God-assigned duties, anything which dulls the conscience, blunts the edge of our spiritual appetite, or chokes the spirit of prayer. The cares of this world weigh down the soul just as effectively as does a greedy grasp after the things of the earth. So we must be careful with these things. These things are serious. These things that we, 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 we uh, spend our time in could be, could be identified as this. It could be the things you read, whether it be books, magazines, news stories, blogs, what you watch, films, TV, what you're streaming online. It could be what you hear, music, talk shows, podcasts. It could be what you see when you're traveling as well. It could be a task that you do, and at the end of it, you feel exhausted. It felt like as you were doing the task, the wind was blowing against you. And you feel at the end of it that, oh, I'm spiritually burnt out. I don't have time to do the things of the world. It is the things that you put first or you allow to get in the way of your Bible reading and your prayer time. It could cause you to miss Wednesday night prayer meetings or Bible studies or Friday night ministries, if there is that here. It, it could cause you to even miss a Sunday service, as we all are here today. It is the things that you prioritize doing over the heavenly things that you deeply regret doing after spending the time in it. 
This could be sports, media, shopping, the list just goes on and on and on. It is the good gifts that God has given us in this life, but yet we can spend so much time in those good things that it takes time away from our commitment with God. Personally for me, a weight in my life was going to the gym. I love strength training. That is, that is just one passion of mine. It's a hobby of mine. And, and I would wake up at 5.30. I would wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning to, wake up at five, to work out at 5.30 a.m. And that would cut into my time of scripture reading and prayer. But I tried to justify it saying, oh, no, no worries. I can make up for it later on when I'm at work and I'm at my coffee break. I can pull out my Bible. I can read and I can pray. I can make up for it. But I started to realize that on my coffee breaks, I had coworkers who wanted to talk to me. So, so there goes my time. The time that I thought I would have to spend with the Lord is gone. Then my lunch break comes. My coworker still wants to talk to me. Then it's gone. Like I haven't spent time in the Word. I haven't read the Word. I haven't prayed. Maybe I prayed throughout the day. Then I come at night, and I'm here with my wife at family worship, and I haven't spent time in the Word all day. And I come to bed, and I'm like, this is not right. This needs to change. So, so I just worked out at different times, simple as that. So I work out in the evening. I keep that time that I have with the Lord in the morning, and I guard it. So you can apply that to your own lives. What did the Holy Spirit bring into your mind as I'm describing these weights? Take thought about it. Will you take action accordingly to it? Because it is slowing you from your walk, in your walk with God. Now, the sins that he calls us to lay aside, which clings on so closely, the author of Hebrews here is recognizing that even though you are a Christian, even though you are, you are making uh, steps to following God, there's still an attractiveness that you have towards sin. Sin can still have a power in your life if you let it. And this sin, if you let it come in, if you indulge in it, it can easily trip you up and ensnare you as you run the race. So sin makes Christians ineffective in the race. It puts them in a stupor if they continue making a practice of it. It makes them fall asleep to the spiritual warfare that they are in. Not only that, it makes them fall asleep in the race that is set before them. This Christian, when they're involved in this sin and they make a habit of doing it and doing it, justifying it, categorizing it, putting it in a box to make it seem like, no, it is fine. God does not see this. My brothers and sisters in Christ, they don't need to be aware of this. I'm doing just fine. Life is going great. Life is going good. But in actual reality, this sin is killing them. It is slowing them down from their walk to the point where they are asleep. It affects all areas of their life. That box that they put in is not really a box. It's a make-believe. But this sin has affected every area of their life to the point where they're asleep. But not only that, they come to worship with us today. And they are in their, in their pajamas. Spiritually, you go to work and you're in your, your pajamas. You're not recognizing that you're working for the Lord. But instead, you have greed in your heart. You have covetousness. You want to be better than your neighbor, whatever it may be. 
And this brings Satan delight. If you can get a, a Christian ensnared in their sin, living in it, it makes them effective, ineffective in the run in the race that they're in because they will not be a faithful witness at work, in the church, at home, with their children, whatever it may be. The key to killing sin is to walk with God. It's to walk with the peace spirit. It's to set your mind on the things that are above and not the things of the earth. It's to meditate on the things of the spirit. And that is, as well, is our scripture reading, it's our meditation, it's our memorization of the word of God. But with, with memorizing scripture, I, I, I wanted to be careful with that because sometimes I found myself when I was um, earlier in my walk as a Christian, I would have these lists of uh, passages that I would memorize. But my motive was wrong in them. I tried to use them as some type of cheap code, cheat code. To see that when that temptation does come, all I need to do is recite this verse, then I'm good. Then that temptation won't bother me. And that was a lie from the devil. When, when those temptations did come, I found that I had no grace, no power to, to overcome those temptations. But, but, but I am a person that I fully agree in memorizing scripture. I'm not saying to not memorize scripture. You must memorize scripture. You must, as the psalmist says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your words. My, what I'm saying here is that your motive to meditate and memorize scripture is because you want a relationship with God. You want to know God more in your life. So as you memorize scripture, you are walking with God in it. You are praying through it. You are asking questions on how this applies to your own life, and you take it seriously. When that temptation does come, you are reminded of that passage of Scripture. You are reminded by how much God hates this sin. But not only that, you are reminded of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who bled on the cross on behalf of this sin that you're tempted to do. And that should cause you to just do a 180-degree turn and run away from it. There's a difference with that. And that... And that, I found, helped me tremendously in my walk with, with the Lord. The reason why I read my Bible, the reason why I pray, the reason why I come to church to hear God's word, the reason why I fellowship is because it helps me with the, my walk with God. It helps me to know my Savior, and it helps me to live for Him in a way that I couldn't before. It, it, it's one of God's graces. There's many of God's graces that I just listed here to help you to endure in your race. There's a, a, a statement here by J.C. Ryle that I just wanted to quote. He says, Our sins are often as dear to us as our children. We love them, we hug them, we cleave them, and we delight in them. To part with them is as hard as cutting off a right hand or plucking out a right eye. But it must be done. The parting must come. And that statement felt so real to me when um, our, our first child, Zara, came. When, when I see her clinging on to her mother, when I see her clinging on to me, it, it just kind of awakened in me what sins am I justifying or what sins am I allowing to cleave in my life. 
that, that I'm blinded to. And, and it really caused me to do a heart search, to seek the Lord in prayer. The Christian life is not easy. It takes power, strength, and self-discipline, just like how an athlete needs zeal and determination to run a race. This may be discouraging or it may be a hard word for us, but we must take heart because we have examples of people who have or who have gone in the race before us and who have finished. At the beginning of verse 1, The author says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these witnesses, these cloud of witnesses are referring to the Old Testament saints. But not only that, the therefore refers back to chapter 11, where the author just expounds of faith or examples of faith that endures. And he expounds the life of Abraham, of Sarah, of David, of Gideon, of Jephthah, of Samson. And he shows that these saints were not perfect. These saints needed God's help. They, they have embarked in the race that you are embarking on right now, and they have finished. So they serve as us as encouragement to keep on going. Now, I just want to bring up, because there, there's some misconception about Hebrews 11. Sometimes when we come to Hebrews 11, people think that, oh, this is the hall of faith. It's the heroes of the faith. But in the Christian life, there's only one hero, and that is Jesus Christ. If there was such a thing as a hall of faith, it would only be Christ there. Because he is the only one that obeys God's commands perfectly and without sin, without flaw. So the whole purpose, when the author of Hebrews says a great cloud of witnesses, it's not supposed to be seen as, um, as an arena that we're in, and these saints of old that have finished are sitting in this arena and they're looking down at, on earth at us running the race as if it's some type of entertainment. No, it's not. They are referred to as great cloud of witnesses because they attest to the fact that saving faith endures to the end. Not only that, but they are witnesses of God's grace in keeping them through life's trials and difficulties. They have made it to the finish line, but the only reason why they made it to the finish line is by God's grace. It is not by their own effort, but it's by God's grace working in their life. That's why they serve as witnesses for us. This is the type of faith we must have. We look at David's life and we think, wow, what a godly man. He is a godly man because he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Throughout his life, difficulties his challenges with his kids, his challenges with his enemies, with Saul. You look at his life and how he endured till the end. Even in his failures, he, sleep, he sleeps with Bathsheba. He murders his, her, her, her husband. And yet, he still endures in the faith. He still clings on to God's promises. Even though these saints made it to the finish line, they are still waiting to be perfected. And, and the reason why I say this is because in, verse, in chapter 11, verses 39 to 40, the author of Hebrews says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. 
Now, this might seem strange to us all. Why is he saying that these saints are not made perfect? They have reached the finish line. They're in glory. They're in heaven. Well, the, the word perfect is in reference to the resurrection. They are in glory right now. They are walking with the Lord Jesus, but that is their, their soul, their spiritual body. My, my grandparents right now are in glory. They're, they're walking with, with Jesus Christ, but at the same time, they know that God had, has promised me a resurrected body. And I'm standing here in heaven, naked, and I'm looking down, and I'm waiting for my body to clothe me. And, and, and the beautiful thing about this is that they have not been made perfect. They have not been given the resurrected bodies yet because God is setting an event at the end of time where all of us will be resurrected. The saints of old are waiting for us to finish the race. They're waiting for us to endure to the end so that we can be a part of this grand event of the resurrection. So, to conclude this section, these saints serve to be as examples for us and, and how it has encouraged me in my call to ministry. I, I struggle with doubt. I struggle with fear. I struggle looking at my own weaknesses. And, and when I look at the Old Testament, I see Moses has the same excuse as me. I can't speak the language of the people. Lord, I'm slow in English. I'm not good in English. The excuse of Jeremiah, I am too young. I'm too young as well. And with Ezekiel, when God calls Ezekiel, Ezekiel was so stressed out, he was so burdened that he had to go with the people and, and, and just sit with them for seven days for him to, to, to comprehend the calling that God has, has on his life. And I look at these saints' examples and I just look at how they did not give up, but they embarked in the race they obeyed God's command, and they walked in faith. What will I do today? How will you live today? What has God called you to do? Because God has placed a gifting in all of our lives. He has placed a calling in all of our lives. He may not be calling all of us to full-time ministry, as in pulpit preaching, or whatever it may be, or missionaries, or whatever it may be. But God has called you here in Beaumont to serve, in Edmonton to serve. If you are an electrician, God has called you to, to do that job faithfully. If you are a stay-at-home mom, God has called you to do that faithfully and to endure. If you are a child here, a teen here, God has called you to be faithful in the season that you are in right now as well. It, it is something that we all must seek in prayer, in, in humility, to understand God's calling in our life and how we can continue to be faithful. But these saints are ultimately meant to point us to the prime example of endurance, and that is Jesus Christ. If we look at verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Believers are to run the race to the end just as Jesus Christ completed his. Christ has embarked in the race of faith. He endured. He made it to the finish line. But not only that, he has received his reward. This is the second way 
that we must endure. We lay aside every weight. We lay aside every sin. But as we're doing that, we're looking to Jesus. And how we do that is that we must set our minds on the things of the Spirit and not on the things of the flesh. We must walk by the Spirit and not according to the flesh. We must put off the old man and put on the new man. We must set our minds on heavenly things and not earthly things. We must ignore the present circumstances that we are in, the trials that we, we face right now, and we must lift our eyes to Jesus. Because quite honestly, the temporal, the circumstances that we are in right now is only temporary. We must set our gaze upon what will last forever, what will abide forever, and that is the heavenly things. The act of looking to Jesus, as the author describes in the beginning of verse 2, is a, is a continued expression of faith. So as we're working in laboring and cutting off these sinful habits, these bad habits in our life, we are looking to Jesus. We are looking for His grace to be worked in our lives to continue. And this shows us that the race of faith is not based on our own performance, but it's based on the work that Christ is doing in us. This is why he's referenced in this verse as the founder and the perfecter of our faith. In other words, we could say that he is the pioneer. He is the forerunner. He is the one that goes before us. He is our eldest brother, as uh, Paul mentions in other parts of Scripture. Christ is the one that began the work of faith in us, and he will bring it to completion. Through Christ's work, he he has become the fully sufficient Savior who alone enables other people to reach the goal of faith. So he starts it and he'll finish it. So in Christ Jesus, we find that perseverance of faith is found in the saving work of Christ and clinging on to it, as illustrated in chapter 11. So perseverance of faith is not only by human ingenuity or skill, but it's by, it, there's another side of the coin of the perseverance of faith. On the flip side of the coin is God's preservation, that God preserves us to the end. And that is comforting, that it's not on us, but God works in us. And, and at the same time, I'm reminded of the passage in Philippians, that he calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But the flip side of that is that he's the one that that produces that fear, but he is the one that does that work in us. And one of the biggest mark, not one of, the biggest mark of Christ's endurance and his perseverance is seen at the cross, where he he despised the shame. Now, this despising the shame may be a confused language for us all. It was for me as I was studying this, this text. But the essence of Christ despising the shame of the cross, it it points to the reality that he looked at it as a very small thing to endure. He, he, He disregarded the temporal shame that he received from his creation that he made from the Jewish people not accepting him as the as the Messiah. He looked at all the shame that he received from them, the mockery, the beatings, the flagging, 
all the pain, all the suffering, all the rejection that he received from his people, and he counted that as a small thing. And the reason why was because he was looking forward to the joy that was set for before him, the reward of being seated at the right hand of God. So what did Christ accomplish at the cross? Well, at the cross, he brought many, he was bringing, he was doing the work that will bring many sons and daughters to glory. At the cross was the only time in his history or in his time where the fellowship of the triune was disregarded, where the wrath of God was set upon the Son. And he endured the wrath of God on our behalf. Yes, he, he faced hostility from people. He, he, he faced severely physical beatings. But I think at the pinnacle of it all, he, he served the blunt wrath of God. And he endured. He buckled down through it. Because he knew that he would be purchasing a bride for the Father. And this is a beautiful thing. He did not let the shame of the cross hinder him from faithfully obeying God. But now, in his humiliation, he is exalted. We do not serve a king that is still laid down or hung or in the grave. But he has been exalted. He has been given the highest station in heaven. And I want to mention again, how was Christ able to endure the cross? It's because he did not look at his temporal circumstances, but he looked forward to the reward that was going to be set before him. So in, 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 in the time of great tra- tragedy and pain, it turned out to be Christ's triumphant victory over sin, over the devil, and over death. And whoever would look to him and believe in him will be saved. If you are sitting to here today and you are not a believer, Christ has taken your place. The sins that are weighing you down, the sins that you, you know are not good for you to do. And you, and you see that you cannot set yourself free from this sin. Christ is able to help you with that. Christ is able to take off the yoke on you that is so heavy, the guilt and the shame that you have from your sin. So in light of this, Christ has finished the race and he has received his reward. And his reward for his perfect obedience to God's law is in result of him sitting at the right hand of the Father. So in light of Christ's example, we too must endure to the end being willing to endure any suffering since we know it will ultimately result in a great reward. So as we conclude with verse 3, we must consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, Christ's examples serves as an encouragement for our souls to not fall away from oppositions or trials that we face in this world, but he encourages us, just as Christ did to endure, we must endure as well. So we are to consider Christ as the one who has been fitted by successful endurance of the worst to in return sustain us in whatever we face. 
So a, a juxtaposition or a contrast is being made here. Is that as we go through trials and circumstances, as we go through misfortunes, as we go through opposition at work, or, or it could be in our family, whatever it may be, in, in public, we must compare that with what Christ had to endure. And we must recognize, is, is it worth it? If Christ did not give up on me as he bore through the beatings and the hostility and the cross, if he did not give up, will I give up on him? And the author wants to fixate on the runners who are running the race and who are ready to give up. And he says, your weariness and faint-hearted is not, is, not in, is not worthy for you to uh, respond in a way that I'm going to give up on Christ. When he uses that word uh, weary or faint-hearted, it is the action of the runners equating to giving up their souls. It's, it's equating to them committing apostasy. And he's warning them not to do that. If Christ did not do it, then you should not too. So the call is to consider what Jesus Christ has suffered as a fresh resolve on us. That it should create in us an ever-depending attention to the glorious, exalted object of the Christian faith. And that is Jesus Christ himself. So we must consider this day, how are we going to live in light of what Christ has done for us. We have, if you profess faith in Christ, you have embarked in the race. How will you this day, after this service, after we fellowship, after you drive home and go home, what, how are you going to consider Christ with the time that you have? Will you tackle that weight that is slowing you down, that is hindering you? Or what are the things that are just outright sins in your life? And you know it is a sin. Will you cast off that sin? Will you kill that sin? And for, for some of us who have been running the race for, for a long period of time, are you training other athletes in this race as well? In other words, are you discipling someone who is younger in the faith? And are you in this assembly setting the example of people of a saving faith that endures? When a person who is younger in the faith and they see you going through misfortunes, what, what, what was very encouraging for me as I'm serving at Lighthouse was Pastor Bud and how Debbie passed away and how I was asking them, him, how are you feeling? Like, what are you doing? And all these things, just, just tell me, like, what is going on in your life? Like, are you okay? And then he was able to say, and I don't think he was lying, not at all, but he was saying, by God's grace, I'm doing well. By God's grace, I'm keeping at it. And what, and what really blew my mind away is that when she passed away, he, think he, um, he came back to preach at Lighthouse after two or three Sundays. And some people were just like, why are you doing this? You need to take some time away. You need to take some time to mourn. He's like, no, I've been called and commissioned to preach. So I must do that. And the gravity of that, oh, it hit me. It hit me very hard. Not only for me, but I know for the elders and other people in the church. 
and that has helped me. Will I remain faithful like that if my wife passes away or if my child passes away or if any one of my family members who I hold so dearly, will I be faithful to Christ or will I be tempted to be bitter towards God or will I be tempted to to fall away as well? And for the younger saints who are here, who, who have not run as long, Will, are, you be, are you willing to be discipled by other saints? Do you see other saints in your assembly in whom uh, you can learn from? At the end of the service, you can simply go and ask that specific brother and sister that, hey, I'm struggling with this weight or I'm struggling with this sin. Can you please help me? What has helped me in my walk with God is me uh, allowing men in my life to counsel me to be a part of my life, to be transparent with them, to be vulnerable with them, to tell them, this is my weakness. Can you help me? Can you spend the time to pray with me and to have a Bible study with me? And that has, me, that has helped me to grow tremendously. But not only that, it has um, given me a sense of weight that now I must seek to disciple others who were in the same position, who are in the same position that I once was. And I trust that the Lord will give us wisdom and grace on how to live in light of this word. Word, let us pray.